You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Our main passage today that we're going to be in is uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 13, we're going to be focusing in uh, on verses 7 through 13, but we'll be reading the whole passage. This passage is about Paul's call into the ministry, Paul's call into the ministry. Thousands of years before Paul uh, came on the scene, God called a man by the name of Abraham uh, out of paganism. And God called him so that he could bless him and so that Abraham could be a blessing to all nations, all people who would come into the world. God formed a nation out of this one man with the purpose of bringing a Messiah one day through him, a savior uh, through this one man's descendants. In the course of time, this one man became a nation, and then God formed the nation of Israel and started to uh, set up a system of laws. Uh, Very, if you look at them, uh, what some might be considered, consider very restrictive laws. The purpose of these restrictive laws were to separate his people from evil from evil, and not necessarily to separate his people from evil people, that was intended as well, but to separate them from evil. God knew that sin is very alluring. God knew that sin is easy to uh, fall into. Uh, Mankind is just naturally drawn to sin. It it comes natural to him. For example, uh, those of you who have kids or have seen kids before, you know that you do not need to teach a child to be selfish or jealous, right? You don't need to do that. Hey, here's how you be selfish. They just naturally do it. And then what happens is those children grow up to be selfish and jealous adults, right? Sin just comes naturally to us. Well, the laws given to Israel were meant to help them to identify what sin was and then to run from it. And also it was to help them at the same time identify what was righteous behavior, what was right to do, and to encourage them to pursue that. There's an oft-repeated phrase in both the Old and the New Testament, and that phrase is God speaking when he says this to his people, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, okay? Unfortunately, the people of Israel interpreted these restrictive laws, which were many times in direct contrast to the laws of the nations around them. They interpreted them as God basically saying to Israel, Israel, I love you and I hate everyone else. I love you and I hate everyone else else. This attitude permeated the uh, thinking of the people of God. As a result, Israel started to hate other nations. Even though if you look at the laws that God gave them in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you would see 
that God actually made provisions for the foreigners to come and worship him as well, to come into his presence with the Israelites, with the the natural born natives of Israel. He actually made provisions for the foreigners to come in and worship him. You don't have to turn here, but uh, an example is Numbers chapter 15, uh, verses 14 through 16. This is God speaking, giving his law, and he says this, and if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone who is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law. And one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Regarding unintentional sin in verse 29 of that same chapter in Numbers, the Lord says this, You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally. For him who is a native among the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. And even regarding the sacred meal of the Passover, one of the high uh, 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 celebrations in Israel, Numbers 9, 14, uh, God speaking says this, and if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rules, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. They are combined. There's no difference. Oh, you're naturally born and you're not. We have two separate things. No, God is saying, no, we have one statute for both of them. God made provisions of worship uh, of him, even for those who were not Israelites. I want you to turn, if you can, to uh, Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 7. Because I want you to see this for yourself. I want you to see how exactly God viewed the foreigners. Uh, Keeping in mind that Israel is just like, no, everyone who's outside of Israel is evil, sinful, and we need to hate them. We need to fight against them. We need to push them away. Listen to these tender words coming from the mouth of God in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 7. He says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer." Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all 
people. All people. Looking at that, that does not sound like hatred, right? That does not sound like, please, you are not welcome to come in. We see this played out in the Old Testament, particularly in people like Rahab, who was a prostitute from Jericho, not connected with Israel, the people of God. We see this played out in people like Ruth, who was from Moab, not attached to Israel outside of the covenant people of God. We see this uh, played out in someone like Nebuchadnezzar, who was a pagan king of the nation of Babylon, not an Israelite, not Jewish. And we see this played out in an entire city of Nineveh, who God specifically sent a prophet to, to warn them to turn from their sins. And if they did not, they would, they would feel and experience the wrath of God. He sent them a prophet specifically to them, a pagan nation. And what happened when they heard the message? They repented. And what did God do? God forgave every single one of them. Every single one of them. God reached out to a nation that was not included in Israel. Hints of God's, these are hints of God's inclusion. Um, but despite all of these examples of inclusion, as we enter into the New Testament, Israel still had this mentality of us against the worlds, believing that God hated everyone but them. We even see this among the disciples that Jesus trained for three years. Jesus had these 12 guys around him for three years and he poured into them. They saw how he talked to people. They saw who he went to. And then when he was, uh, after he had uh, rose from the dead in Matthew chapter 28, he gives them a commission and he says, go into all the worlds, all the worlds. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before he's getting ready to ascend to the Father, just moments before, he says to them one last thing. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All people. And if you chart the progress of uh, the disciples and the followers of Christ through the book of Acts, you would see that that's exactly what happened. It blew up in Jerusalem. Thousands of people coming to know Jesus. From there, it went to the greater Judean area. And then because of persecution, it even went into Samaria. But then it kind of stalled out there until God visited Peter in a dream and basically scolded him and said, why are you not going to the Gentiles? Oh, oh, I was supposed to go there? And God's like, yes, you're supposed to go to the Gentiles as well. And even though Peter was the first one to bring this wonderful message of salvation to the Gentiles, it was Paul who God called specifically to be the missionary to the Gentiles, namely those who are outside of the nation of Israel. And so here in Ephesians chapter 3, we see that calling. And so let me read our passage, Ephesians chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 13. This is the very word of God. It says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according uh, to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him uh, as we proceed. Father, we thank you for your word. Once again, Holy Spirit, we need ears to hear. We need eyes to see because we cannot get this on our own. Lord, make us willing. Make us like little baby birds with our mouths open, ready to receive the nutrition that comes from your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Lord, remove the enemy from our midst right now who wants to kill, steal, and destroy and help us to hear what you have to say and to put it into practice. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, to have an eternal perspective. Oh, to, to, to peel back the veil of the natural realm and to see what is behind the scenes. In a sense, this is what Paul is doing here. In the remaining time that we have together, what I want to do is I want to show you several things from this passage, three things in particular. I want you to see the message of the gospel. I want you to see the purpose of the gospel. And then I want you to see the results of the gospel going out into the world and how it affects people. But before we get into those, I want you to note Paul's last statement uh, just before he breaks into prayer in verse 14 through the rest of the chapter, in verse 13, he says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. And here's what I want you to realize about this statement and what Paul is saying is this, Paul will not play the victim. Paul is not a victim, Okay. If you read through the book of Acts and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and 2nd uh, Timothy and other uh, books of the Bible, you would quickly see that life was far from easy for Paul. He suffered a ton of persecution, a ton of it, beaten, um, and so forth and so on. Before he became a Christian, it seemed like he was just cruising through life uh, and uh, was in the majority 
so to speak, religiously, regarding the religious leaders who both had a, he and the religious leaders both had a hatred and a desire to stamp out this new growing movement known as the way or Christianity. He had experienced no opposition whatsoever because the religious leaders agreed with him. But now having encountered the living Christ, having died to his old way of life, for the rest of his life, Paul would experience persecution and opposition every step of the way. Even while he was writing this letter uh, uh, to the Ephesians, he was in prison. But that was no cause for Paul to be sad or sorrowful or to pity himself. Why? Because Paul was called into gospel ministry by the king of kings. His life was not his own. Every move of his was now dictated by the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Every move of Paul's was now dictated by the one who one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. If his new master Jesus, therefore, called him into a place where he would experience persecution, then so be it. His master Jesus had a purpose for calling him to that place and experiencing that persecution. This is why he could say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And why he could say in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord as long as everything is going okay, as long as life is going the way that you want. No, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get it the first time, again, I will say rejoice, rejoice. In fact, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. The situation of this letter that Paul is writing to the Philippians is that he is in prison for preaching the gospel. Okay? He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And yet, you would imagine that if he's in prison, and the prisons back then were a lot different from the prisons that we have in uh, the United States today, um, you would think this is going to be a really depressing letter. But if you read the letter, you see words over and over like joy, rejoicing, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And you're like, what is going on here? Paul, um, if you will, takes the proverbial lemon and makes lemonade into it, okay? Uh, picking up in verse 12, here's what he says. You can just hear the excitement in his voice. He's in prison, okay? Let me remind you of that. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become well known uh, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let me stop there for a second. One day, Paul was out freely preaching the gospel the next day, he was in prison. Poor Paul, right? Poor Paul. Uh, now he had to stop. Now he had to put the gospel proclamation on hold, right? 
Nope. Nope. Wrong. He just had a new audience, right? He had a new audience. He obeyed Jesus and now he was in prison because Jesus actually had a message for a new group of people, for a group of Roman soldiers here. And I love this. What you need to realize is that most likely what happened is that Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and not the same one. They would take shifts. And so the new guy would come in, shackle himself to Paul. Talk about a captive audience, right? They were literally captive to him. They can't go anywhere. And Paul would basically be like, hey, Julius, welcome. Let me tell you about Jesus, right? And so for the next however many hours, Julius couldn't go anywhere, right? He had to listen to the message. And then when Julius was done, hey, Antony, come in, come in. Shackle yourself to me. I got a message for you from the Lord. And then we keep doing this. And so what was happening, apparently, is that people were coming to the Lord. And so it's just like, well, my shift is over, but I'm, I'm probably going to stick around, you know, as you're, as, you're, as you're chained to someone else. And people were coming to know Christ because of that. Paul didn't stop. Paul didn't stop. There was no time to complain about the, the chains rubbing his ankles raw or the nasty food that he was receiving. Jesus was being proclaimed. He was being proclaimed. And people were coming to Christ. Paul would not be shelved. Paul would not complain. Plus, it was at this time that Paul wrote many of the letters that we now enjoy as the church. How awesome is that? What am I going to do at this time? God's like, I got an idea. I want you to write several letters to these churches, which will bless churches after them, after them, after them, and it'll continue to go on. And now today, here in 2021, we're blessed by what he wrote because he was in jail at this time. Paul continues on in verse 15 of uh, Philippians chapter 1, and he, he talks about the pure and impure motives of those who are preaching the gospel. He says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? <laughs> Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And then verse 20, he says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's gain. Paul's life did not matter to him. He was excited about this mission that he was called into and he was excited about the eternal impact that this mission would have on so many thousands of lives. <clears throat> so let's with the short time that we have left, let's move into our first point, the message of the gospel. We find this in verses 8 and 9 of our text in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, according to these verses, uh, two things, uh, we see two things that Paul was called to. He was called to preach uh, about the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light God's plan. Uh, let's start with the first one, uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What are they? Well, I'm just going to submit to you that they're everything that is available to us in Christ. Everything that is available to us who are Christians. Let me just list a few of those things, right? When we hear riches, we usually, our minds usually go to uh, material stuff. Uh, uh, let me just tackle that one really quickly. Uh, Christ owns everything. And if we're in Christ, then that means we own everything, okay? We have not taken full possession of it, but everything is ours. And so one day, y'all, maybe you're struggling, you know, paycheck to paycheck. One day, you will inherit a massive wealth beyond your wildest dreams, okay? But I don't think that that's the main riches that he is concentrating in uh, on here, okay? Okay. Uh, Here's some of the things that I think are, that he's pointing to. According to Romans 2, 4, it's pointing to his kindness and his forbearance and his patience. I'm going to tell you what, God is a holy God. He cannot stand to look upon sin. And every time you sin, whether it's a small sin, right? Whether it's a, a little white lie that you might, uh, you know, call it. Every time you do that, you deserve to be wiped out. And so be very thankful for God's kindness and his forbearance and his patience towards you. That's one of the riches that we have in Christ. Furthermore, some more riches uh, as found in Romans eleven thirty three, is wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. In our sinful condition um, and our human bodies, our understanding of this life and how to navigate it is very, very limited. Very limited. Because it's so limited, you are very susceptible to make mistakes. You are very susceptible to read into a situation something that is not true. Okay? You need supernatural wisdom. You need someone who has an eternal perspective and can see everything going on at the same time. And if you're in Christ, you actually have that, right? God, I don't know what's going on. This is what I see. This is how I'm going to react. Is this how I should react? And you cry out to God and he's like, oh, you're missing so much. You're missing so much. You're missing this and you're missing this. Thank you for helping me not make a fool of myself, right? And what happens usually when we do make fools of ourselves is because we haven't taken the time to tap into these riches that are available to us in Christ. Two more riches, according to Ephesians 2, 4, are his mercy and his great love. Once again, you and I mess up all the time, and he is merciful, right? Think about how many times you're merciful to other people, right? You would definitely want, not want God to treat you like you treat others. I would not want God to treat me like I treat others. He is merciful, and his love is unconditional, God, you just messed up in a big way. I still love you. I still, really? Really? That's foreign to us. But those are part of the riches that are ours in 
Christ Jesus. Another form of those riches is found in 1 Timothy 6, 17, where it says that um, uh, it comes in his supplying us with all things to enjoy. The things that we get to enjoy, relationships in this, in this, uh, in this world, uh, taste buds, right? Um, uh, just a, a back rub to be able to hear, I love you, to see the beauty of this world. Those are all good things that God has given us the wealth that we have. When you take all of this into consideration, his word, his assurance um, that he loves us, it's no wonder that in Colossians 2.10, he reminds us that in him, we have been made complete. In him, we've been made complete. We don't need to go anywhere else. Those are just some of the riches that come with the gospel of Jesus. And they all point to God making a relationship with him available to us. That's what they point to, which is what we long for the most. The second thing that Paul was called to do was to make known to all that God offers salvation and inclusion in his kingdom and family to everyone, everyone. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what uh, uh, socioeconomic state you're in, uh, what race. It doesn't matter what gender. All, the message of the gospel goes out to all. The invitation goes out to everyone. This brings us to our second point, which is the purpose of the gospel message. This is found in verse 10, where he says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Just to clarify, the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places is referring most likely to angelic beings. Okay, well, what is this talking about? There's a lot that we could say about these verses, but the main point that Paul is making is this. The purpose of God putting this grand plan of salvation into motion is ultimately for his glory. It's ultimately for his glory. It is God Almighty putting himself on display for all to see. Every human being and every angelic being. God is putting himself on display and he is manifesting his wisdom. And I was thinking about this through this small, flawed body of individuals known as the church, the manifold wisdom of God was and is being made manifest through the church. The church does not exist simply for the purpose of saving souls. Although that is a marvelous and very important mission of the church, the supreme purpose of the church, as Paul explicitly lays down here, is the glory of God. Look at your God, people. He's amazing. He's amazing. The glory of God by manifesting his wisdom before angels who can offer him as they see this plan unfold greater and greater praise to God. The purpose of the universe is to give glory to God. That will be its ultimate reality after all the evil is conquered and destroyed. Even the psalmist said this according to Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The church is not an end to itself. Okay, but a means to an end, and that end is the glory of God. The real drama of redemption can only be understood 
when we realize that the glory of God is the supreme goal of all creation. Holy angels are especially made and confirmed in purity and praise as creatures who will forever give glory to God. And then one day we will join the heavenly chorus as we give praise to God as well. Redeemed people, therefore, if you think about it, are to enhance as we live out uh, the truths of scripture, as we demonstrate the Holy, Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we are to enhance the praise of the angels. And as I said, one day join them. Once again, in this plan of salvation, God is putting himself on display. That's what he's doing. Uh, he has done this through the church. People, we are the church, okay? We are the church, and this is why it's so important to be committed to the church, to be committed to that local body of believers. As you partnering with us and fulfilling the Great Commission, uh, as, as you do this, you are putting God's amazing wisdom on display, and the heavenly angels are standing in awe of God's glory, and that's a pretty cool thing. The result, this brings us to our last point, the result of this salvation uh, of going, uh, that has gone out into all the world and brought near people who shouldn't have been brought near and united people from all different walks of life is that this great God who is filled with wisdom and power and glory grants us access to himself. This great God grants us access to himself. We see this in verse 12 of Ephesians 3 where it says this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And I just want to encourage you, uh, don't miss this phrase. It seems to be tacked onto another great truth as almost kind of like an afterthought, but it's a very, very important phrase. Paul is saying that, that through our faith in Jesus, we have boldness and access to the Father. We have an audience with the creator and the sustainer of the universe. There are two words in particular in this phrase that stick out at me, boldness and access. Boldness is, is the freedom, it's freedom or frankness in speaking. It's the freedom in speaking all that we think and all that we please. Access is the right to approach someone that has been granted to you by someone, uh, by a high official or a monarch. This means that we can come to God at any time, speaking our minds and telling him all that is on our hearts. We don't need to be afraid of what we say, and we don't need to make an appointment. We don't have to say, hey, God, really need to talk to you. Are you free at any time during this week or the next week? And God's like, ooh, I'm booked until August. Would you like to, me to pencil you in at that time? No, God doesn't say that. Whenever you are ready to talk to God, the appointment is available and you come into his throne room and you pour out your heart to him. If you have something, if you're thinking about something, you just enter his throne room. If you have a burden or you have a, a complaint or a joy or a sorrow, you come in and you express it at any time. 
In the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews addresses this as well. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, listen to this, this these tender words. Since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect uh, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you burdened? Come. Me? I can't. Yes, you can come. How am I to come? With boldness, right? You made promises to me, God. I'm here to claim those promises. We come with boldness, not afraid, because we have a God who actually took on human flesh, suffered persecution, was tempted in all ways as we are, so he knows what we're going through. And he says, come, I get it, I get it. You ever talk to someone who really gets it, what you're going through? Man, it's so much easier to talk to someone. You get it. And Jesus is like, I get it, come, talk to me. Don't be afraid. We have been granted continual access to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of what the Son has done. This is a great privilege that we have. I remember hearing the story many years ago about a very prominent CEO, owner of a company who had dozens of people working under him, great responsibilities, everyone competing for his time. And he had an office at home where he would work out of very often. And what would happen from time to time is that his little son would wander into dad's office because he just wanted to know what dad is doing or he had to ask dad something or whatever. And what I heard about this guy is that when that would happen, if he was on the phone, he would immediately try to get off the phone. If he had his computer open, he would shut down the computer. He would push aside his notes. He would focus in on his son and say, what can I do for you, son? I'm all ears. All that stuff doesn't matter. You're my focus right now. And this is what God does for us. You and I have complete and total access to God. Paul was called into an amazing mission to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. He knew it would be tough. He knew that he would suffer a lot, but he also knew that Jesus would be with him always and that he had total and complete access access to Jesus all the time. Never out of the sight of Jesus, out of the control of Jesus, knowing that his God cared for him. Because of all this, going back to verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 3, here's what I believe Paul is saying. Don't you dare pity me. Don't you, I, don't you dare pity me. I know I'm in prison. I know that I've suffered a lot, but I'm not a victim. No, I'm not a victim. In fact, I am a soldier in the army of the Lord of hosts. I am a child of the King. Don't you worry about me. Don't you worry about me. I'm well taken care of. Once again, you and I as followers of Jesus have access to him always. And we can come before him with boldness, speaking our hearts, all that's on our hearts, and he will hear 
and respond to us. What a glorious, glorious truth. I just want to encourage you this week uh, to take some time either today or sometime during this week or many times during this week and come boldly before your Father and your King and just say, I need you right now. I need wisdom. We are told that we can run to the Father, right? We can run to the Father because He cares for us. And you see that image of that, that timid child, that scared child, that confused child running into the arms of that father who is just in control and embracing and saying, oh my son, oh my daughter, all is well. I am with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. We thank you for the truths of this, of this passage, Lord. We have bold, we can come into your presence with boldness and we have access with confidence uh, before you. What a great truth. And I pray that we would truly run to the Father, Lord, that we would fall uh, on his grace, Lord. That's our only hope. Thank you for being there with us. Lord, as we go through the struggles of this life, um, this week, Lord, there's a lot of things I know that are probably on the minds of the people here. How am I gonna do this? What's gonna happen here? Uh, I'm just really scared entering into this, this week. I pray that we would run into your arms, Lord, and find uh, the grace that we need to make it through. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.